Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Are you feeling dangerous out there, either, you know, in your car as you're driving, or uh, perhaps, you know, you're, you're getting back from church on Sunday and you're just feeling a little dangerous this Monday? Well, um, if you're an evangelical Christian, um, that's because you are. You are the most dangerous, super scary, evil threat that the United States has ever faced. And uh, that's according um, to the brilliant... Um, Bill Carville over on Bill Mayer. And I, I just want you to hear this for yourself so that you don't think I'm pulling one over on you. This is what true danger is. Johnson and what he believes is one of the greatest threats we have today to the United States. When I, when I, I promise you, I know these people. Because I'm a Christian nationalist. Absolutely. This is a, a bigger threat than Al-Qaeda up to this country. Oh, so let's let's reiterate. So James Carville, who is a Democrat strategist, um, goes on Bill Mayer and he says, Speaker Mike Johnson, the Republican evangelical from Louisiana. And and by the way, the, the this brand of evangelical is just an independent fundamental Baptist. Now, you might be out there if you're not an indie fundy Baptist. Uh, you may say, well, what's an indie fundy Baptist? Well, I'll tell you. An independent fundamental Baptist is a kind of Baptist that is not part of like a convention. Um, that means that our pastor at, at the church that I go to, he doesn't answer to some type of council or a convention. Um, the independent fundamental Baptists believe uh, that the scriptures, the, the Bible, the, the word of God is the final authority. And uh, that's pretty much it. That That's, you know, that's the host. Now, if there's one of my, my college professors of theology that are listening, I'll be getting a call later because I missed a few points. But by and large, that's it. That, that fits a lot of evangelical churches. Um, and that is what they are painting Speaker Mike Johnson as. Now, here's why that's important. Speaker Mike Johnson has never claimed to be a Christian nationalist. This is a term that gets thrown around almost as much as assault weapon. It's a term the left loves to use but can't really articulately define. Uh, Christian nationalism, at least by those who claim to be Christian nationalists, are those who believe that Christians should be running the country. Now, does that mean they say that Christians, as in like there's a, a pack of Christians and like this, there's like the Southern Baptist Convention that's like making decisions from on high. No, that's not what that means. That means that uh, as a Christian, I would prefer that Christians ran for office and that people that shared my values were in positions of power because, shocker, and this is going to scare a lot of people, I think that my values system is good and I think that it governs well. That's the, that's the tenet of Christian nationalism. Now, I'm not a Christian nationalist. Um, Speaker Johnson is also not a Christian nationalist, but that's what Christian nationalism is, just, just for those out there who are wondering. However, the left then takes that and says, well, any Christian who wants to be in government or any Christian who wants other Christians in government, oh, see, those are Christian nationalists. And you see nationalist in it? And nationalism rose at the end of the French Revolution. Nationalism is what led to Nazi Germany. And so that national, ooh, that means fascism. Ooh, that's super scary. And then James Carville, he, he goes, I know these people. And everyone like nods with the drool flapping out of their lips. 
Um, he, he knows absolutely no evangelicals at all. I would bet every single cent that I own on that fact alone, and not just the 10% that I'm tithing. Um, to make matters worse, he then says they're worse of a threat to the United States um, than radical Muslim jihadists like Al-Qaeda. Um, you, you know, the, the, the kind of groups that just murdered and raped and slaughtered a, a bunch of, of women um, in Israel and around the world. Uh, if you believe out there, you out there in, in the far-flung places of Indiana where you're watching from, that Christians, that evangelicals, the people in your town that largely donate to more charitable organizations than any other organization combined, that would be members of the Christian church, if you truly believe that Christians are some kind of deep scourge on the world, more so than, than Hamas, more so than Al-Qaeda, than ISIS, then you are so detached from reality, I would need to find a mental asylum which hosts a smaller mental asylum inside of it for you to go get your head back in the right place. Because that, man, that's wild. I've heard some conspiracy theories, but Christians worse than Al-Qaeda? You've got to be slurping some serious Jonestown Kool-Aid for that to be the case. But, you know, we, we have that quite often now because people take Bill Mayer seriously. There's this weird idea in modern America, where anyone who says something that's kind of edgy, that equals wise. Like anytime Joe Rogan goes, you know, I don't think that actually happened. Everyone claps like a bunch of seals that are waiting for a fish to be thrown from the zookeeper. We saw the same thing with, with RFK Jr. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. gets up in front and says, you know, I think the CIA assassinated JFK. And everyone's like, he said something not a lot of people say. That must mean he's smart. RFK Jr. said Big Pharma was bad. Oh, he said Big Pharma was bad. That must mean he's smart. He said something big and impressive. Um, toddlers say what's on their mind, too. That doesn't mean they should be running the country. Just because someone says things that are, at times, politically incorrect, just because Bill Mayer got up on TV in 2018 and says, you know what? I think some Trump supporters aren't bad, and everyone's like, oh, whoa, he must secretly be on my side. No. No. Stop it. Can we stop pretending that just because someone says what's on their mind, that makes them a good, like, leader? Because that's not the case. No, it's good to say things that are on your mind. It's good to fight for things that you believe in. As we're going to talk about later, it's very important that we stand up against the kind of oppression that is becoming very commonplace in this country that's masquerading as some kind of decolonist anti-oppression. But just because you speak up and you have a big mouth doesn't make you right. It doesn't. And we need to learn this lesson because going into 2024, Democrat governors are terrified that Biden is going to make this election all about Trump. This is according to Harold Hutchinson at the Daily Caller. Uh, Democrat Governor Andy Bashir of Kentucky said, you've got to run for something and not against someone. And he's very much right. People want a vision of where you are going. We, we literally fought this entire debate in the school choice movement for 15 years. For 15 years, school choice in this country really didn't go anywhere. And there was a reason, because people walked around saying, public schools, you're bad. And everyone's like, okay, then, then what? Just like public schools are bad, move to a different public school? No, you have to paint a picture of where you were going. And Biden's not doing this. Biden's not saying, here's what we've accomplished, mainly because he hasn't accomplished anything. And then like, here's where we could be going. He's just kind of attacking Trump and, and MAGA Republicans, which again is a term that no one can really describe. People just don't know the record, Democrat Governor Newsom of California said. He said they don't hear it. They never see it. Some governors have said that Biden should promote infrastructure projects and factory openings from the infrastructure legislation and the Inflation Reduction Act that he signed. Uh, I would be doing those morning, noon, and night, Democrat Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey said. The Democrats are like beating their head on the fence post. 
because they realize that Biden is going to go into this election just attacking Trump because that's what worked last time. And when you try the same strategy as last time, you lose, as Trump has learned the last six elections that he has endorsed candidates in a row. Now, from Trump right now, Trump is leading because Biden is really, really awful. This election is going to turn out to be a referendum on Joe Biden. And as long as Joe Biden makes it about Trump, he's in trouble. If Trump does anything other than make this about Joe Biden, he wins. And he wins likely in terms of, of statistics, like how on par with how he did in 2016. If Trump gets out there and, and does the old codger thing where he makes it all about Joe Biden and attacks him and talks about all the revenge he's going to take and all this weird egotistical say whatever's on your mind codgerness, then the election's not in the bag. So we, we really have a choice here. Either we start putting our votes and our time and we start encouraging those who are running for office to actually govern and then focus on where we're going to go, or we stay in the egotistical, cogical, you know, fight blackout match. It's still undecided whether Trump is going to run to take us somewhere or whether we're just kind of going to see the same thing. Speaking of where policies are headed, uh, up next, we are going to be talking with a, a representative from A for Arizona, because one of the biggest things regarding things like school choice and education involves solving some of the biggest problems. You're listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. If there's one thing I've heard at least 567 times uh, from those who are against school choice, it's well, who's going to cover transportation? After all, if if you don't have the big yellow school buses that are wildly overpriced and and you don't have 800 of them per district, then then how are kids ever going to get to learn? They always paint this picture of this child that's living in this dirt hovel 873 miles away from the day school his parents signed him up for. And he's like trudging up the hill both ways in the snow. Well, when it comes to that issue... There's a group from Arizona that has more than a few answers. Katie Dauphine, A from Arizona, thanks for hopping on with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat about student transportation today. So it, it, I'm going to be honest. At first, the, the idea, like I've talked a lot about education issues, um, and this is not one of those things that you know it pops up and everyone's like, oh, yeah, student transportation, let's go. But this is one of the most common criticisms of school choice, so it has to be addressed. So break it down for us. What's the solution to, you know, not everyone has a fleet of 50 bluebird yellow buses? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, in Arizona, we've been a leader on a lot of school choice policies over the past couple of decades. Um, we're actually just chatting today that we're coming up on the 30 year anniversary of charter school um, establishment in the state. So we've seen a lot of great work done in school choice, empowering families to truly pick education options that fit their students needs. Um, but one of the things that was the elephant in the room we weren't addressing was transportation. Um, so back in 2021, I believe Governor Ducey, um, you know, in, at the end of his tenure was kind of saying, 
listen, we've done so many things for students, but we haven't addressed transportation. Choice is not a choice if you can't get there. So I'm going to task you, Arizona education leaders, to find solutions for, for families. Um, and so that's how our organization stepped in, and we worked with the legislature to establish the Transportation Modernization Grant Program. Um, and so what this does is it we um, the legislature and Governor Ducey allocated some funding where we can give um, funding to anyone in the community that wants to provide transportation options for students, sure. um, whether it's like a walking school bus, and that's walking kids across the street to get to school every day, um, fleet vehicles, hop, skip, drive apps, um, anything they really want to do that addresses the student's unique transportation needs um, to help address those inequities that we are facing in the state. So we've um, had the program in action since 2021, and we've seen over 75,000 students that have been served by the program oh, in wow. all 15 counties of the state. Um, we have over 50% have been rural communities that have taken advantage of this program. Um, and we've done three cycles and we've had over 20, I'm sorry, let me check my numbers, 54 grantees that have been awarded grants. So um, we've seen a lot of success. We've had a lot of lessons. And frankly, I think what <laughs> where we are right now on seeing like how many innovations that have been out there is there's no one size fits all solution to transportation. It's really sure. about empowering the family and empowering the schools to find unique solutions for student transportation inequities. So that's kind of the thing that really draws my attention is that whenever someone talks about replacing or at least creating an alternative to a core government, you know, unilateral provision, mm -hmm. they always talk about how the only solution that, and I mean, they is in critics of providing an alternative. Mm -hmm. uh, those critics often say, well, we have to provide something that completely mirrors in size, scope, magnitude, and efficiency, the original model that we've provided. Yeah. And no, that's not what it looks like. Again, like not every private charter homeschool co-op needs a fleet of uh, traditional school buses. And by creating a network that actually allows individuals to select, I, I'm really interested in like the hop, skip ride, yeah. um, as well as kind of like the small private charter transport companies. When you actually see public education funding that would be going for transportation in public schools, also be allocated to provide a little bit of a boost for private companies to innovate in that area, you actually get something that we haven't seen before, mm -hmm. which is innovation in the education transportation space. Yeah. It has not changed at all other than, I guess, getting better CB radios <laughs> since like the 50s. This is a very, very standard model of transportation. And let's face it, it's a little rusty. It's a little old. <laughs> doesn't work as good as it used to. Well, and what I like to tell people, especially about Arizona, we have this big hole in the ground called the Grand Canyon that everyone knows about. Yeah, it is true. I've heard of that. It, <laughs> it, it looks a little bigger than a hole in the ground, but it is a sizable rip you guys got going on there. Pretty good. But there's families that live up there. There's families that are in those communities. And do you think that an 80 passenger yellow school bus is the most efficient way to transport a student to school when they're traveling on miles and miles of dirt roads? Probably not. So what we said is to these school leaders saying, we see you, we see that there's issues, what can we do to be helpful? And so in giving them a little bit of funding to buy a fleet vehicle, giving right. direct grants to families, that's been such a huge game changer in our rural communities. We have people that commute 50, 60 miles a day to get to school because that school is the best school in that, for that family. And they're making sacrifices. They're doing wear and tear on their vehicles. They're taking time off of work. They're spending hours in the car just to get to school. And so if we can give a family a little bit of money to cover those costs and keep that like momentum up, that's a game changer. And we've seen reductions in absenteeism, academic gains. It's it's truly transformational. And it's, it's been this behemoth issue and people are finally starting to address it. And it's exciting to see the gains. 
On with Katie Dauphiné from A for Arizona talking a little bit about how Arizona has bringing school choice to the transportation issue as well, getting kids to and from school and, uh, and the other various learning centers that kids are going to during the day. This That's one of the points that I really want to dial in on. You, you know, you talk about how you guys have seen all of these major things for, and I think that I can probably put a pin in why. Public schools operate in a, in a sense of funding where they tell the state, these are the needs that we have. This is how we're going to meet it because either A, this is the way we've always done it, or B, this is the best way to do it. And they just, they throw that arbitrary out. This is the best way to do it. This is the expiration date on the milk. This is how we're going to be. And then the state has to provide the money to cover it. And so if that just means a big fleet of yellow buses, then so be it. That's mm -hmm. the way it is. And so they will continue to pester the state until they get uh, another couple hundred thousand dollars. Or I'm sure it's skyrocketed since the last time I've looked at a new bus. And that's it. But when you give a community a certain set of funding or a certain percentage of funding, a set amount or a percentage, and you say, here you go, make lemonade, all of a sudden people start getting creative. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden companies and, and entrepreneurs and phil philanthropic organizations, they start trying things that work and that don't work and different methods that may work, like you said, up on the cliffs of the Grand Canyon that may not work down um, on, you know, down near the border. Mm -hmm. These kinds of issues are going to be different from state to state. And that's exactly why the system works. Yeah. Because if there's no set parameters of here's the money you get now work and try to make something good, there's no innovation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because when the really, we say they're the client, but really they're when the, they're, when the provider gets to tell the state, this is how we're going to do it. So give us money. They never change because why do they have to? They can keep going back to the same water trough year after year and there'll be fresh water in it. It's not a way to run an innovative cycle at all, especially not education. Yeah. And I think um, the thing I love about Arizona and call me biased, it's, it's where I grew up. I love it where I live. But I do think the leaders that we have in our schools, public, private, charter, whatever you want to call it, are truly trailblazers. They want to innovate. They want to do things. It's just waving that magic wand to say, here's your permission to go ahead and do what's best for your community. Um, and so we try as an organization at A for Arizona, and I know um, some folks that work in the education reform you know, coalitions out here really want to empower that innovation to serve families. Because at the end of the day, that's who our next governor is in the classroom of Arizona right now. We need to make sure they're getting the best education possible. And that's one of the things that kind of rings home with the electorate is as long as you actually have people that are bringing forward the receipts, then they're going to continue voting for it. Mm -hmm. And that's the good side of policy. We never really see the good side of policy because often so many people screw it up. And then the comms people on top of it botch the screwed up mess. So it's like you get a twice burnt baked cake and it's horrible. <laughs> but in this specific case, you have a genuine concern that a lot of people outside of the school choice space have that's been directly addressed. And the goals moving forward is just keep innovating because again, our target audience, in this case, the constituents and their kids are being served. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard not to like that. And I think it's about empowerment, right? It's just, you know, recognizing that there's not a one size fits all to education. There's not a one size fits all to anything, frankly, in this, this world that we live in today. And so just peeking behind the curtain and, and talking to those innovators saying, if we gave you permission to do this, would you do it? And they actually go for it. And, and it's quick and it's fast and it's efficient, which has been really exciting to see. It, it really is because you, you're always told the, the fear mongering tales of, well, they're just going to put kids on a cardboard box with wheels and throw them down the highway. And it turns out that's not actually how those innovative markets tend to work. Uh, Katie Dauphiné from A for Arizona. Thank you very much for hopping on with us this evening. Thanks for having me. Have a good night. 
You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. I got to tell you, at the end of the day, I just want to go get my groceries and I want to come home. I do. I'm a simple man and, and the simple pleasures in life are just getting what I ordered on my grocery order and then coming home to open up the bags and find those groceries. So we're going to talk a little bit about Kroger. Good evening. This is the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett and uh, I'm also fed up with Kroger. You know Kroger. I mean, come on, like wait, you grew up in Indiana, you know Kroger. Kroger's everywhere. Or if you're in Anderson and you shop at Payless, it's owned by Kroger. So you get it. The problem is Kroger in the last couple of years has kind of wanted to step it up to be kind of more like fresh time and more like Whole Foods or uh uh, what's that other one, Carl? What's the other like fancy rich person grocery store? I, Not Trader Joe's. Think, yeah, I, I'm thinking of L.A. places, which wouldn't be uh, appropriate for this show. No, I think Kroger I was, is uh, like actually a swear word in L.A. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, called Ralph's in L.A. Oh, okay. All right, you got yeah. me. All right, so so Kroger. All right, so. The problem with Kroger is not their their produce. It's not. It's not even the selection they have. Kroger has often some really good deals as well. The problem with Kroger is their online service. So in the last couple of weeks, I have noticed a number of complaints uh, popping up, not only from friends of mine, not only from colleagues, uh, but also from individuals just around social media. And I kind of went down a black hole and found in the last couple of weeks, like 38 tweets and not to mention like a Facebook search that that found, you know, several different posts in different community groups that, that really express anguish over Kroger's like inability anywhere across the state or the greater Midwest to provide the base level of service in their online shopping. So let me explain what I mean. So you'll you'll go to Kroger and you'll order for a pickup. This means that they will send one of their employees around the store and they will throw your food into the bins. And then uh, if the exact brand and type that they said was in stock on their website is not in stock for whatever reason, then they will ask you, hey, is it right if we substitute, you know, maybe this Prego pasta sauce for private selection Kroger brand pasta sauce? You know, no problem. And then they bring it out to your car when you get there. The problem is, and the source of a lot of complaints, is that people have been getting double charged for things. People have been getting charged for things that aren't even in their order. People have uh, been finding items that they didn't even closely come to ordering in their bag that they were also charged for. Um, and then not to mention a whole host of other issues like produce that's all smushed and gross. Like they pick the most rotten plums out of the, the plum black piece of plastic. They store all of the plums in and they put those in your order. And the reason that this annoys me is because Kroger boasts about its online program. And a lot of organizations boast about having an online delivery or an online store pickup program. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You Look, I have problems with Amazon just like everyone else has problems with Amazon. But problems with Amazon are the exception. They are not the norm. You do not expect when you order something via Amazon Prime that it is going to come to the door mangled and horrible or no one would shop at Amazon. Kroger has become a store that cannot do its online thing. 
And in the same way, when you provide a service and you boast about that service, you've seen the commercial with a little animation guy like measuring the orange with the calipers and they're bragging about how great their service is. And then their service sucks, kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And it's frustrating because it's a service that I, I want to support. And it's like a lot of local regional hospitals around the state as well. There are certain hospitals that have a very good reputation, let's say in the OB uh, department. Everyone says you should go to this one hospital on the north side of Indianapolis because it's a very good hospital. Except the problem that recently a lot of people have reported being treated like cattle at a lot of these regional affiliate hospitals. And so a lot of people are taking their business elsewhere. Now, the flip side of this are businesses that are actually doing things right. I really like Major Hospital in Shelbyville. I really like Henry County Memorial in, you guessed it, Henry County outside Newcastle. And there are a lot of smaller businesses that recently have been gaining traction. And in the retail space, maybe even though they have perhaps slightly higher prices, people are still putting their money where customer service and the quality of service delivered is good. And that matters. Now, this is common sense. I'm not breaking anything new. I'm not telling you anything you didn't know before. Oh, quality of service matters. Wow, that's some really impressive knowledge there, Galileo Galilei. I know. But every once in a while, you have to hear it. Because after your eighth time shopping at Kroger in the last couple of months, and like everything's tipped over, and there's like a live goose in your produce bag, you're like, am I crazy? Is this happening to anybody yet? Yes, it's happening to everyone else. All over. Again, I am, I'm piling up with you. There are tweets that have been sent to me in this segment. One lady named Katie, a lady named Katie, says that she bought three bags of Thanksgiving ingredients and half of them weren't in the bag. She was still charged for them. That was just sent to me while I'm on the end. This is very common now. I, and the reason why is, is twofold. Number one, no one really can hire good help today. We don't really hold employees to standards anymore. And that's a very big problem in American society because you can't really hold employees to accountability anymore. You can't really gripe at them because no one really wants to work. And also that our culture of like really soft, warm, squishy hugs, you're not really supposed to tell employees that they suck at stacking cans. But you know what? Sometimes you suck at stacking cans. You need to be told that. Like get it together or get out is a good way to run a business. I would also suggest that the other reason that this has kind of become a problem is because every business needs to be everything. Every business has to have an app. Every business has to have an online service. Every business has to have some weird self-checkout. Every business has to have, and we like list all of these features that to be a modern business, it's expected that you are going to participate in. The problem is that a lot of these services are half-baked. And so what you get is a service that is worse than if you would have left that stuff out in the first place. I go to a certain bank that I will not name because I happen to like a lot of people at the at this bank. And uh, for a long time, the online mobile app stunk. It was bad. It was nowhere near as good as like Capital One's was or other major banks, yet they still had the service. And after a while, it started to drag so behind that it almost made me wish that the service just wasn't there at all. And you say, well, well, why does it bother you? Just don't use the service. Just don't use online shopping. Just don't use the, no. The reason that it matters is because you only have a certain number of resources in a company and therefore they must be allocated. And if you take resources from something and you put it to somewhere else, the original space does not have enough resources anymore. So if you're going to do something, do it right. Don't overload yourself. And if you're out there, Kroger, and you're listening, get it together, man. I'm tired of finding squash fruit in the bags of groceries. And also, I'd like to get the stuff that I ordered. So just, just a little side there. Was that really useful cultural content? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. After you get back, we're going to be talking about utilitarian politics. 
Keep listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Feels like I'm losing it. I kid you not, uh, over the break, uh, I did get quite a few texts, Facebook messages, um, also a few tweets. You can follow the show, by the way, over at Facebook now. We have a page. It is facebook.com slash the Tony Kennett cast. Uh, that's uh, so that the rest of the WIBC team will stop bullying me about not having a Facebook page. Uh, I'm getting several messages indicating that a lot of other people are also frustrated with just kind of the state of kind of the whole grocery service situation in general, and it's very valid. Um, but there seems to be something in the last couple of weeks that I've noticed from definitely some comments around some Indiana politicians uh, that has kind of worried me maybe a little bit more than than just a, a small rant on groceries, and that is this kind of utilitarian view of politics. So utilitarian politics can best be summed up as whatever works. And the problem with whatever works style politics is that you kind of tend to start treating people um, as numbers instead of individuals with souls and agency. And uh, this is nowhere better displayed than by Jane Goodall. Now, you know, Jane Goodall, Jane Goodall was that lady who went and like studied, you know, the apes and you know, came back and everyone was really amazed because like she hung out with the apes and it was cool. It was cool to watch some of the documentaries and she talked about the different things that um, apes and, and monkeys, different primates could learn and, and do, uh, kind of talking about different aspects. And as a science teacher, I always enjoyed Jane Goodall. And then she went off the deep end and then off a little bit further. So over the weekend, a video surfaced in which she said that she would love nothing more than to, quote, reduce the number of people on the planet, end quote. She says, there's too many of us. It's a planet of finite resources, and we are using them up. Oh, no. Heavens to Betsy. Oh, there's humans. They're overpopulating. And you'll hear this line repeated quite often from people on the left. It's the same vein in the climate change crisis uh, kind of line of thinking, is that humans are doing these things to the earth, and they're, they're increasing drastically the amount of carbon, and it's changing animal migration patterns. It's not changing animal migration patterns. And it's melting the ice caps. It's not really melting the ice caps. And it's going to cause overpopulation. And, and then they say that's what causes things like Hamas attack on Israel on October the 7th. That's what's causing violence and, and migration from, from the Middle East into Europe. The reason that, that 20-year-old men are flooding into Europe from Africa and the Middle East that are aggressive Shia Muslims are not because they hope to conquer the place for uh, the nation of Islam, um, even though, again, that is you know what they're on tape saying, but it's actually because of climate change and because there are too many people. So what we really need to do is reduce the number of people and everyone needs to start walking everywhere, even if you are 35 miles to the nearest Kroger with our online ordering system. And you just have to start doing these things for the planet. Of course, the individuals telling you this are, are flying very expensive private jets that easily produce more carbon emissions than you ever will in your entire life. Um, and they're never the first ones to volunteer for reducing the population. You never see Jane Goodall go, there are too many people on the planet, and so I am going to walk off of a cliff. You never see that. 
uh, because you, the peasants, you are supposed to be reduced. And by the way, uh, study after study has proven the earth is nowhere near overpopulated, even in places as dense as Kowloon in China or Mexico City in, you guessed it, Mexico. No, it is not overcrowded. It just isn't. We have seen this time and time again. Infrastructure systems may need to be reanalyzed and repurposed and redone in large major cities, but no, the earth is not reaching a population overcapacity. Uh, the most strict of estimates show that we could have at least twice the amount of people on the planet that we do now and still have breathing room. And I will remind you that whenever in the past people have felt the pressures of population, they left. Uh, they left and, and sought new lands. And you might say, well, it's perhaps a little bit different than, uh, you know, going to space and harvesting materials from, say, the asteroid belt, as it might be just to sail across the Atlantic Ocean. And I would suggest to you that you do not know people. There is no gap too wide when it comes to the ingenuity of mankind in solving issues that are present and in front of them. If a person wants to do something badly enough, they will find a way to do it. And this is something that has marked the ingeniousness of Western civilization. This is something that utilitarian individuals don't understand. They don't understand that people and their agency is what is worth protecting. That people, I'm sorry, people are infinitely more important than dolphins or apes or whales or turtles or whatever it is we're going to pretend that we're saving this month. They are. And lecturing the entire world that they need to be depopulated while you sit there in your fancy private jet spilling all of the stuff that you say needs to be stopped isn't worth anything. The only kind of utility that shows is the kind of hypocrisy that comes out of individuals who see you as a bag of meat. And, and by the way, you see this kind of conflict come to play when all of your, your, your pseudo sophisticates start arguing through why they say certain things are wrong. And you saw this with a, with the kind of both sidesism from the United Nations. So the United Nations a couple of days ago was talking about how awful it was for um, women to, to be raped, how awful it was for women to be assaulted, which is very true. That, that is a good thing to condemn. And uh, then they kind of walked it back and said, well, but of course, with, with Palestine, with the pro-Hamas people, that's, well, that's different. See, see, that's kind of agitated over decades long. And, and then you started hearing people in the United States, even a lot of Republicans in this area say, well, both sides have, have really kind of done bad things. Both sides have kind of committed atrocities. And, and so you ask them to list some of those atrocities. And they kind of give you really vague answers. Well, I mean, you know, Israel's kind of blockaded and sort of kind of kept them all down for a long time. And You don't actually get any straight answers back on why both sides are as damned in any situation. And this is a major flaw with utilitarian philosophy, is that when you treat all human ideas as kind of different forms of the same bird. Like Christianity is the same as Hinduism, is the same as Judaism, is the same as Islam, is the same as agnosticism. And you start doing this whole my truth, Oprah, Joe Rogan nonsense. You get to a point where you cannot argue why certain events are happening. And it's embarrassing. And it's embarrassing because you have a vote. Like you have just as much a right to vote as I do. And if you're out there believing the most insane, stupid nonsense, then our country's in a worse place. And it's in a worse place because you're casting your vote most often 
based on the value system that you hold. And if your value system is based on the idea that everyone just kind of wants like, you know, good old fashioned friendship and brotherly love, and you don't actually take a moment to study the individuals who openly admit that they really would like to have your head on a platter. That's not a metaphor, by the way. They openly would like to hang you from a crane, cut off your head, and then put it on the nearest serving ware bought from Gordon Food Service. They were very open about that. There was video after video after video after video in Arabic, in Farsi, in English, in Russian, in Hebrew, in which individuals from radical Muslim states very openly admit they are a culture of death that is not at all a paraphrasal. They are a culture of death, and they want to kill you if you do not accept Allah. Period. That is the Shia point. The Sunni and the Shia Muslims fought an entire war over this that lasted for 125 years. Because they thought that the, the other Muslims were, were too, too wussy when it came to cutting off the heads of, of the infidel. Now these individuals are spilling into Europe and they're saying, yeah, we're here to kill some Jews and kill some, you know, Christians. It sounds like a fun thing to do. And people like Jane Goodoff to come out and say, oh, no, it's actually because of population pressure and it's because we're too overcrowded. And, and, and like President Obama said, if we only give them, you know, basketball and Damascus and jobs, all of a the sudden they'll realize that maybe they weren't, you know, we aren't so bad and we can all get together and sing Imagine like the celebrities during COVID. Guys, it doesn't work that way. Certain cultures are better than others. It's true. Certain cultures value things differently. And guess what? If you value death over life, your culture is substandard. It is. That has nothing to do with your skin color. It has nothing to do with your genitals. It has nothing to do with where you were born. If you in your heart believe that Jews are substandard and they need to be killed, I'm sorry, but your cultural facet is not worth anything to me. And I'm not going to take it seriously from the left, from the right, up, north, down, south, east, or west. And you saying, well, both, si both sides are just as bad. I saw a video of a missile striking a building. And sure, Israel asked people to get out. Israel told people they were coming. Israel's fighting a terrorist force that has openly said, yeah, we're using our citizens as human shields. Oh, that's just the same. Oh, it's just the same, is it? I don't know what rock you've had your head under, smashed by subsequent rocks that are progressively larger. But it is hilariously embarrassing for you to keep continually trying to enter this conversation and utilitarians are the worst because now the UN women has to come back out and admit after the major backlash of you know excusing some types of rape but other types of rape are wrong because everyone realizes that the UN nation states that make up the UN um, the majority of them have countries in which statutory rape laws are incredibly gross the majority of African and Middle Eastern countries that are a part of the UN many that sit on the Human Rights Council glorify the rape of young women if a council of men has agreed that she should be married to a certain individual. So, no, you, you shouldn't be lectured by utilitarians just because they're, they're Jane Goodall or because they're Bill Mayer or because they're any other celebrity or politician that says that you have a responsibility to follow their agenda while you're just some kind of backwards Cro-Magnon who happens to believe in God. It's petulantly silly. Thanks for joining us this evening. This has been the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. We'll see you here same time tomorrow night, and uh, we'll get into a whole mess of trouble yet again. <laughs> <laughs>